is going on baseball fans i laugh every time that intro video plays that is quite the phenomenal work done by our managing editor, editor pate nelson welcome to season two episode seven of this baseball presented by diamond digest i am your host jordan lazowski got a two-man crew on on this uh episode for you this evening we've got ethan fisher diego franco Carreno, two very um recurring guests these two are very familiar with what we're doing here so gentlemen how are we doing doing well i'm good i think um the less we bring up the pirates the better mood i'll be in this is also not bring up the giants today yeah this was a rough week <laughs> well, we don't have to bring up the white Sox either but unfortunately i accidentally wrote them into this so you know accidentally <laughs> wrote them in you know i just i these are self-inflicted wounds at this point as yeah. i continue to complain about having to talk about the white Sox, but it is what it is but Glad to hear you're all doing well. Listeners, we hope you're doing well, too. Uh, we got a good show for you, as usual. We'll start with the same format and see where it goes from there. We'll have Around the League in 60 Seconds. These two gentlemen will tell me and all of you some of the highlights from this week, what they think was most important to highlight. I'll give you the standings update. We'll jump into seventh inning stretch, the duo version we've got here between the two competitors. And we're, what we're going to watch this week, and we will send you out to do just that. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. If the season ended today, here's what the standings would look like. In the AL East, the Red Sox and Tampa Bay Rays are tied for the division lead. Now, friendly reminder, we record this around mid-afternoon on Sunday, so things might have switched around by the time you're hearing this. Tampa Bay is on a 10-game win streak, in fact. The AL Central, the White Sox, even after getting swept by the Yankees, still a game and a half up in the AL Central. The Oakland Athletics also a game up, excuse me, a game and a half up in the AL West. The two wild card teams out there are either the Red Sox and the Rays, whichever one wins the tiebreaker, as well as the Houston Astros. Or excuse me, the New York Yankees actually would be. So there would be three teams from the AL East in the playoffs if the season ended today. Let's head over to the National League. In the East, the Mets, a game and a half up on the Braves and Phillies. The Cardinals, three games up on the Cubs. The, Dod- or the Dodgers have improved a little bit, but they are still behind the Padres for the NL West. The Giants, for the first time in a while, Diego, are not in it's first place. It's been about a month. It's been yeah, about a month. It's been a while. I, I think it's I uh, think 29 days, I think. They were in first sole possession of first place for about 27 days or 28 days. So, unfortunately, they are no longer leading the division. However, given that there are five wildcard teams, the Dodgers and the Giants would be the two wildcard teams. So, we would have two divi- two um, league, both leagues having a division with three teams in the playoffs as of current, the AL East and the NL West. I, I don't think much has changed this week. I think we'll talk about plenty in terms of – you know, as we these weeks go on and the division standings start to shift less and less, kind of getting a better sense of who's who in each league. Uh, no surprise to poor Ethan, the Pirates are who they thought we thought they were. <laughs> yeah, um, they are who we thought they were. We let them off the hook. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's the case there. I think the Giants are still a team. We're, we're still trying to figure out who they are. Uh, yeah. Diego, you actually wrote a really good article this week about being a first place team at the time and still very close to a first place team and a division or excuse me, a playoff team in general. Um, just not getting some of the national attention you'd think. And, you know, I, I read that article. I edited it before it went out. And I, I will say that, you know, I started off as out. Oh, is he just going on a pro giants rant? But at the end of the day, I'm like, it was a decent article. You brought up some really good points that I, I was uh, very intrigued by. So if you haven't seen it, please go check it out. I don't write very often. When I do, it like, <laughs> tends to be pretty decent stuff. <laughs> it's at least decent. It's at least decent. Like it's passable. We'll, we'll start yeah. there. But no, I thought it was a very good article. I, I thought it was. It is an interesting take on it. You know, you're you're playing out west. You've got the Dodgers and the Padres, and all of a sudden the Giants are competing, and it's like, and eh, they're not as fun to talk about. But I just want respect for the Giants. They were in first place for like thirty something days, mm-hmm. or like about thirty days, and you just didn't know. Right. No one knew unless you like, you know, actually follow the games. But like my roommate, like he follows baseball as much as I, not as much as I do. Like he knows about it because of me. 
And I'm the only reason he would have guessed the Giants were like doing well. Right. Otherwise, he would have had no idea. I mean, to be honest with you, if we weren't doing these every week, I mean, I probably wouldn't guess that either. I, I think the biggest yeah. thing, too, is just, but at the same time, you know, when I, I you saw me stumble as the Giants weren't in first, it's like it just became something I was used to saying. It's like the Giants yeah. somehow are in first, and we're going to talk right. about it again. And it's like, oh, wait, no, I got to figure out what I'm actually going to say because this is live and I can't edit it. And <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, yeah. th- this is what happens. Tough um, weekend. Tough weekend for everyone. I, I think and we'll talk about the socks in a bit, but from my perspective, they uh, they held their own in New York, but you see what it looks like against tougher teams. And I think the Yankees are, are coming back a little bit. I think we, we talked about them last week, you know, are, are they the best team in the American league? Um, it, it was our, one of our something stretch questions last week. The common theme being, yeah, probably, even though the record doesn't show it. And I think right. ha- having a series against a good team like the Sox, granted they're depleted, so the Yankees playing without Stanton. It was a competitive game. Games one it was and three. a good I'll series to back. watch. Games one and three were competitive. Um, game two was not, but that was Garrett Cole on the mind. You kind of knew what you were getting yourself into. But I don't know. It, it kind of feels like some of the common themes where we've been talking about week to week are still coming up um, right. as we go through. Except for the Pirates. No, they've been common. The common thing for the Pirates is they've been bad. That's true. We, we haven't talked much about the Pirates, I think. They, you know they were the good for a week and a half. Yeah. They had a stretch where they went like 10 and 5. They did. They right. did. And, and they're going to play at PNC Park. So, right. I mean, they're winning there. But eh. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> at the same winning, time, though, we, we will have. Probably a lot more Pirates talk as we start shifting a little bit towards thinking about the draft in the next mm-hmm. couple weeks. Very stressed. Well. Very stressed about the draft. Yeah, no I think – I was just going to say, I think that's still something where it's very up for debate right now. Um, the longest time it wasn't, but all of a sudden it's like yeah. no one knows anymore. Yeah. So that, that's keeping all of us entertained. But mm-hmm. I'll let you two jump into it. And I'll stop talking for a little bit. Around the League in 60 seconds where each of these fine gentlemen – Give the best recap they've got of what went on this past week and what the they think you should know in case you missed anything. We'll start with Ethan. All right. So I kind of just have a hodgepodge of headlines here. Um, starting off with Albert Pujols joining the Dodgers, which still seems weird to me. It's he wrong. joined the Dodgers on Monday and shortly thereafter hit his first Dodgers home run. The Dodgers haven't lost since they brought in Albert Pujols. Assuming they win today, which they're going to win today, they're up yeah. eleven two at the time of this reporting. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> so, but unfortunately for the Dodgers, the Padres also haven't lost since then. I think they've won eight in a row, and you mentioned sure. the Rays have won ten in a row. So, a lot of teams who didn't really jump out to a, as hot starts as we expected have really started to pick it up lately. Um, Mike Trout, um, unfortunately, <coughs> uh, strained his calf, so he's going to be gone for a while which is obviously just a bummer for the entire game of baseball. Um, we had a couple more no-hitters. I know we're going to talk about that later. Um, one of these notes just says Tony Larusa. <laughs> I know we're going to get there, too. Um, we had the 20,000th player in Major League history, yes. Jose Godoy of the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the uh, the tracker the Cespedes Barbecue does on Twitter, Yeah, tracking yeah. each debut. I love that. So the 20th debut is really exciting. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Diego, but uh, Scott Casimir actually started a Major League Baseball game yesterday mm-hmm. for the first time in five years. That Looked was awesome. He, yeah, he decent. He's decent. He only got four innings. He only gave up one. <laughs> I think one hit to the Dodgers. I mean, I think I'd consider that good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the other thing I have is there was about 15 minutes or so on Friday when everyone was like, holy crap, it's Wander Franco time when they traded Willie mm-hmm. Adamas to the Brewers. It's Taylor Wall's time, apparently. But I'm sure Wander Franco's time will come soon enough. You know, I did debate making that one of the seventh inning stretch topics, but once Wander Franco didn't come up, I was like, eh, it's kind of a little less exciting. But Nothing against Taylor Walls. Nothing against Taylor Walls. But but Wander Franco's been one of the most hyped number one overall prospects ever. So and when when you're a legitimate eighty grade prospect, like mm-hmm. that, he's the first one ever, point. wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. That that's the talking point, and I think it makes sense from the race <laughs> perspective. Still, you you see where they're coming from. 
Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was for about 15 minutes, like you were saying, like, oh, we're actually going to see Wanda Franco. And, of course, Willie Damas wished him all the best in the two bullpen arms that the Rays got. You know the story. Yeah, what are they doing be... trading two relief pitchers to the Rays? Yeah, that's... Haven't just... <laughs> these people learned by now? No, apparently not. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you keep thinking, like, oh, it's a good idea that I trade these relievers to the Rays and don't question why they want them at all. You wonder why the Rays are in the postseason every single year, and it's moves like that. Um, they went ten in a row, and I think it's some sort of luxury that the Rays have. Just the amount of middle infield prospects they've kind of either traded recently. Or, I mean, it started with uh, Solak a little while ago, a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, um, yeah. and now you're seeing them move on from Willie Adamas and. There's, there's still so many more names to come. They've got three or four guys left still where yeah. it's like they've got middle infield prospects for the next 15 years on lock. Yeah. And that's what's incredible about it is just the amount of names that they can trade and just keep that stockpile the way it is. It's absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But Diego, what's your uh, weekly recap here? Yeah, you hit a lot of it. I'm gonna, I want to talk about Spencer Turnbull real quick. Shout out Scott Benley, the <laughs> Detroit sports Twitter king, Spencer Turnbull. I was so excited about that no-hitter purely because of Scott. Like, I, I don't think I've been more excited about anything in the last several months. But, like, yeah, I was very exciting. But, I mean, yeah, otherwise, besides that around the league, um, teams like the Rays, the Dodgers, the Padres getting super, super hot. Uh, like, you know, this is kind of what, you know, was expected of those teams. Uh, it just took them a little bit to get going. And uh, a lot of good baseball played this week everywhere. The uh, Jose Godoy, uh, 20,000th player in Major League history. Like, that was super exciting to watch, super cool. It's a cute it's – a, it's a cool little tidbit you see in just kind of, like, the history of baseball. Because there's so much history. There's going to be so much more history. But this is such a – like – defining moment in that like history that has happened and will continue to happen. I just think that was super, super cool. And then like, uh, yeah, Sussman's family barbecue do a really good job. They made a really cool video kind of recapping a lot of those older players. It's like fun. They just kind of do like those fun video, uh, format kind of things. So I would highly recommend watching that if you haven't. Um, but yeah, baseball seems to be taking its shape. Um, as we head into, the summer months, and I'm just excited to continue watching baseball. So, Love it. I, I think the biggest thing is I do. Um, now, let me be clear. When Spencer Turnbull threw his no-hitter, and, and Scott had predicted it on a previous episode <laughs> of This Week in Baseball, mm-hmm. I laughed because of his reaction to it, not because of the pick. I am also very high on Spencer Turnbull. Am I as high as Scott Bentley? Probably not. No one is. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, like, I have him on both of my major fantasy teams. Like, I am a big believer in Spencer Turnbull and what him and Corey Seager. Him and Corey Seager, <laughs> yes. Um, I you if you if you play with me in too many leagues, I'll start to draft the same people, and then you can rob <laughs> me in trades and stuff like. It's fantastic, but I I do want to publicly put that out there that you know, kudos to Scott Bentley and his homerism for uh, paying off this time with Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> But the first time anyone's actually predicted a correct no-hitter. Yes, mm-hmm. and we've had plenty to talk about when it came mm-hmm. to the no-hitters. This, uh, I, I feel like it's six out of these seven episodes or five out of these seven that we've talked five about. A, we've talked about a no-hitter, and it's mm-hmm. absurd at this point. But yep, yep. I, I did want to get that out there that, yeah, I didn't think the pick was crazy. I just loved his reaction about <laughs> it. So, just so we're clear on that. But... We've got plenty more no-hitter talk coming up as we start seventh-inning stretch. So as we always do, well, as we always do now, let's pull up our new and improved seventh-inning stretch scoreboard. Two names on it. Diego, Ethan. Yeah, it all looks kind of weird still. Listen, I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not a graphic designer. We do what we can. All right. (laughs) Here we go. Gentlemen, good luck as we start seventh inning stretch with inning one. As we had just mentioned this week, we saw another two no-hitters thrown by Corey Kluber and Spencer Turnbull of the Yankees and Tigers, respectively. 
We aren't even through May, and we've now seen six no-hitters. Um, are they starting to lose their luster? We will start with Diego. All right. Um, so I am very much of the opinion that a no-hitter is incredible to watch. I have loved seeing as many as we're seeing. I know a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, just, you see one every week, so it means nothing now. I'm like, what do you mean? There's still only three, about 300 in Major League history, like a little more than 300. And so, you know, over, like we just said, we've had 20,000 and one now, I believe, players in the history of baseball. And not even 300 of them have thrown no hitters. We just happen to be in a pocket where a lot of them are happening at once. So stop complaining about there being a lot of no hitters and live in the moment. And we're witnessing so much history happening on a week to week basis. It's incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, the Yankees deserve nothing ever, but Corey Kluber is a cool guy. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of glad he, he threw his. But uh, yeah, like Spencer Turnbull, Joe Musgrove, like these guys aren't guys you had to be throwing no hitters, and they're making history by the week. Like I think that's like super, like super cool. Like I don't think it's losing its luster at all. Like I'm also been I'm huge on pitching in general. Uh, when I got into baseball, pitching is what got me into baseball, which is kind of weird because a lot of people it's offense. Um, but pitching, watching the baseball move like 10, 15 inches, uh, either vertically, horizontally, like I thought that was incredible when I was like 11, and so like I started getting into it, and then watching beautiful pitching performances. I will take that over a slugfest any day, and a no-hitter is next to the pinnacle of fantastic pitching performances. So give me a no-hitter every other week. I will gladly watch every single one. Ethan? Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, I, I don't like people, you know, down-talking how impressive a no-hitter is just because, you know, a lot of them are happening. And – uh, what I really like about it is how a lot of the guys who've been throwing no hitters are, you know, guys who are kind of flying under the radar, like Musgrove and Rodon and John Means and Spencer Turnbull, who, you know, are putting their names on the map now because, you know, they went out there and threw a no hitter. And um, yeah, each no hitter is exciting in its own right. Everyone's unique and special and it's on its own, especially like Joe Musgrove, you know, being from San Diego and throwing the first no hitter in team history and like his second or third start with the team. That's a, that was a great story. And yeah, I don't like, you know, people talking down on it. Really the only people who should be complaining about no hitters are the Rangers and the Mariners and the Indians <laughs> because all these no hitters have been thrown. And those are the only teams who have been, no they get to complain. Everyone else. It's can. almost incredible. If you think about yeah. It. <laughs> I saw something the other day. It was, I think it was from John Heyman. Like, Oh, uh, what, what maybe it was like the Rangers or like, their, their team average is like 200 or something. He's like, I'll just talk about launching and stuff. I'm like, they just happen to stink right now. Like, let's not <laughs> let's not get our facts incorrect here. Like, it, it has nothing to do. That's still my big complaint. And I could go on a 20-minute rant on the whole dismissing everything because of launch angle. But it's like, those are teams that are just not in a good Bad. place right now. It, they are brutal teams and... It's happening accordingly now. I cannot believe the Pirates haven't been no hit yet. <laughs> yeah, keyword. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a matter of time. <laughs> it's coming. One of my favorite watch. <laughs> favorite memes I've seen. Uh, so the Mariners in Seattle, they have the Hit It Here Cafe in the outfield. There's just like uh, called uh, someone on Twitter is like, "Did you change the name to the Hit It Anywhere Cafe?" <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. That is rough. <laughs> I didn't include it here, but okay, we got it. We have to guess, actually. Like, who who's throwing the next no hitter? Who are you guys taking? Casey Mize. All right, that's an interesting pick. He's uh, looked really is, good the last. He few has weeks. looked really good. Yeah. That's why I said that. Shout out Scott. Casey Mize is throwing the next no hitter in Major League Baseball. This is not uh, trying to steal extra points, Homer, whatever. <laughs> Dylan Cease. That's also good. I mean, I'll take the point. That's not what I'm going for. You get a free for. point for that. That's a good pick, though. He's looked pretty good as of late, too. If yeah. he can keep I, – I seriously, like, even though the box were on his last down, he didn't look great at the end of the day. Like, for three innings, he was absolutely disgusting against one of the best offenses in baseball against the Yankees. Like, put that together for a few more innings, and, and you're going to be lights out as a pitcher. Rodon so, pitches his second of the season. Right. <laughs> 
I mean, he's also looked incredible recently outside of his. I, I, I love the fact that Rodon's pitching so well because he was non tendered in the offseason, right? Yep. Yeah, I love that he's pitching so game. well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It, it's been a co- it has been a really cool story. I, I do hope it's a big-time money-making year for him. So he like probably won't be on the socks, but That's fair. <laughs> Inning two. The White Sox strike again. This is not even me being a homer at this point, adding these every week. They were in the news yet again as Tony La Russa and Yermin Mercedes made news over a home run on a 3-0 pitch. In a 15-4 game, I will give a 20-second recap. La Russa didn't like that Mercedes allegedly ignored the take sign on 3-0 against Willens Estadio, hit a homer. He publicly called out his uh, player saying he he did say he was a clueless rookie um, and that there would be repercussions. Once the Twins hit him, or excuse me, threw behind him the next day and attempted to hit Mercedes, Larissa basically said he had no problems with how the Twins handled it and wasn't even willing to say that the Twins threw at him. Uh, that being said, give your thoughts on the unwritten rules in baseball and the way in which, this is probably what I'm more curious about, the way in which Tony Larusa handled this situation that developed. We will start with, I think we started with Diego, so we'll start with Ethan. All right, so my notes here are about 10% about the unwritten rules and 90% about Tony La Russa. Um, <laughs> I generally think the unwritten rules are stupid. If you're not like blatantly and intentionally disrespecting your opponent, then I really don't care and do whatever you want. But unless you like pull an Amir Garrett and like strike somebody out and then like start screaming at him, like then you can go at it. I don't care. But if you're not just blatantly just trying to be a turd, then do what you want to do. All right. In regards to uh, Mr. Tony LaRusa, on Friday night, the Pirates lost to the Braves 20 to 1. 20 to 1. It's not very good. No. (laughs) (laughs) Wilmer Defoe, who's a utility infielder, pitched for the Pirates and gave up a grand slam. I don't even remember. Hire Adrianza is someone who shouldn't be playing Major League Baseball. Hit a grand slam. Giants legend. And Pirates manager Derek Shelton, who's been in baseball since like the 80s, is only a second year manager, but he's been in baseball forever. Somebody asked him after the game how he felt about, you know, giving up a grand slam in a blowout game like that. And which is, he's obviously only being asked because of the whole Tony LaRusa thing. And Shelton basically said, well, it's his job to swing. If the pitch is over the plate, he's supposed to do his job and swing the bat. So he didn't have a problem with it. What's so hard about that? You know, before the season, I thought the White Sox were had a real chance to be like the the best team in baseball, you know, other than the Dodgers. Like my only real concern was whether Tony La Russa could, you know, keep the clubhouse together for a full season just because there's so much of a disconnect there. He's completely lost the clubhouse and it's mid-May. Like how are we even supposed to you know, see how the rest of the season could play out if he's already lost the clubhouse a quarter of the way through the season. And I mean, I could not believe number one, that he was upset that his own player hit a home run. Number two, that he publicly called him out for it. And number three, that he openly applauded the opposing team for retaliating against him the next day. I, I don't even know. And the fact that, you know, Tim Anderson and Lance Lynn, who are two very outspoken leaders in that clubhouse, came out in the media and basically just said the exact opposite of what Tony LaRusa said. And then LaRusa goes, Oh, well, they have a a locker, but I have an office or whatever. Yep. Stop talking, dude. Like it's it's really frustrating. And not only is does he just have no connection with his players at all. He's losing games by how he manages the bullpen. So, like, it's not like he's pulling his own weight either. The White Sox aren't where they're at because of Tony LaRusa. So, I think he, I think he's overstepping his territory a little bit. And, like, yeah, if you have a problem with one of your players, especially one of your younger players, if, if you have an issue, that's fine. 
take care of it behind closed doors. Don't reprimand one of your young players in front of the world. All right. That's what I got on Tony LaRusa. I love it. Diego? Yeah. So kind of starting with the uh, unwritten piece, uh, unwritten rules part. Uh, so here, like, I know we, ha- I have one of these shirts. I couldn't find it before we started because I didn't plan enough ahead of time. But if it's not written, it's not a rule. You can find that shirt at diamonddigest.com. Um, but good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's an extra point. <laughs> so yeah, but if it's not written, it's not a rule. I'm largely of that opinion. Anyway, like we have written rules to be rules. If it's not written, it's not a rule. Like just, why if you if you wanted to be a rule write it in like into the rules that's i feel like that's pretty self-explanatory as far as tony larusa goes i think ethan really hit it on the head just like you have a young player in german mercedes who is what a 10-year minor leaguer i think something like that and uh, i saw this point brought up on um twitter um i don't remember where i saw it from it might have been actually been in our discord but like that home run when he eventually makes it to arbitration. That home run's going to count for some money at some point. And with how drastically minor leaguers or underpaid minor leaguers are, every dollar counts when you're in those early arbitration years. And so, like, if he doesn't hit that home run, maybe that costs him an extra, like, a few hundred thousand dollars, and that's a big deal. Like, if you are upset about your team scoring runs, get out of the dugout. Get out of baseball. You don't deserve to be there. Like, Tony Larusa has, and I'm also, I think I said this last week too. Like, I had the White Sox as my pick to make it to the World Series out of the AL. And the more I see Larusa manage the bullpen, that team, it becomes a little shakier day by day. Like, that, the White Sox are a very talented team. They have a lot of very good players. But Tony Larusa is holding them back tremendously. They're in first place despite of what he's doing for that team. They've got the talent to do it. They have like the bonds with each other to do it, as we've seen with uh, Lance Lynn and Tim Anderson, kind of like you know bringing that clubhouse together more. Uh, and Larusa is just saying dumb stuff, idiotic things in the grand scheme of baseball. That's bringing the game down as a whole. So Tony Larusa handled the situation terribly. You should never be mad at your team scoring runs. You should never defend anybody throwing at anyone ever because, like, it's not like you're these teams or these guys are throwing like 80. They're throwing 95 behind one of your best players. Like, that's not okay. That can seriously hurt someone. At that point, you're putting the health and safety of all of your players in jeopardy. And that's just, on a human level, like a terrible thing to do. So I just, you know, Tony LaRusa, bad. For baseball, dumb, don't like him, boo, don't want him here anymore. Look who's on my screen. Get out of here, Tony LaRusso. That's, <laughs> that's right. You know, I talked about this a lot, and I, I don't want to derail this podcast very much. Unwritten rules, you know, you can have whatever opinion on it you want. I, I, I think we've gotten so far away from what was probably the, origi- the original point of this, and it was supposed to be just about the unwritten rules. It, it was, you know... Do you give the guy a 3-0 take swing? You know, if he missed a sign, he missed a sign. Like, that's got to be handled. Yeah, I get all of that. But it's all got to be handled internally. Like, the, right. the fact that we're days after this, still talking about this, and players get involved in talking about it. It's just, it's unnecessary damage. Say you're handling it internally, and all we'll talk about is, oh, you're an old man who doesn't like the 3-0 swing or whatever. It's like, you could have stopped it there. But now it's like... And I think, Ethan, you brought up the point. People keep saying, like, oh, he hasn't lost the clubhouse. Like, y'all are being ridiculous. Did you see the quote Tim Anderson came out with? It was, you know, we're he's like the dad, and we're like the kids who don't listen. It's like, it's like, it doesn't give, me a, give me a more textbook definition of losing the clubhouse. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have, losing the clubhouse doesn't mean the team falls apart. It just means they're not going to listen to you. Like, that's what it means to lose the clubhouse. Okay. This seemed just like straight up saying, you know, we're not going to listen or, or we don't listen. Like how, how much more blatant is it that you probably are, if you haven't lost the clubhouse, you're heading down the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the entire, um, 
the entire press conference after the game the next day. All, it was all completely tone deaf as to what was going on in the clubhouse, what's going on in baseball today. And I, I think it's very frustrating to compound some of the manage, managerial decisions he's made with something like that. When they had like, this is my last point, I'll shut up. When they had Renneria and everyone wanted Renneria gone, you know, no one could ever doubt, like, he's got these guys back. They fight hard for him. He fights for them. But he's just a terrible in-game tactician. And, and that was kind of the conversation around Renneria. Well, now you have a not-so-great in-game tactician in the year 2021. Don't tell me about 2011. I don't care. But you also have someone who doesn't look like he's going to go to bat for his guys. Like, now you don't have either of them. At, at least right. Renneria was good with the guys in the clubhouse. Now you don't even have that, and that's the bigger problem for me. I don't care as much about the 3-0 swing or if it, like if he gave him a take sign and he ignored it. I don't really care about that anymore. That's an internal thing. It's once you brought it out into the media and everyone's still talking about it making jokes about it, now that's a problem. And it's a problem you've created by not being able to just handle it internally. This isn't 2011 anymore. Like Games changed a little bit. For right or for good, for good or for bad, doesn't matter. We can debate till the cows come home whether the changes have been good. But the changes have happened, you got to adapt to it. Inning three, between the White Sox, Yankees, and Mets, among other teams, we are already starting to see needs developing for competing teams. I think all three of those teams would tell you they need outfield help badly. The, the big chance, question, White Sox. and also pitching for the bullpen, especially in the White Sox case. Uh, the big question is, when will these assets become available? So that being said, which team that's already likely panicking about their start to the season, becomes the first team to decide to sell this year. We'll start with Diego. Uh, yeah, so um, there are a lot of teams that clearly need help um, within their organizations. Um, I don't know if you can trade for a manager, but the White Sox might want to try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, I think um, a team that should be selling, honestly, are the Minnesota Twins. Uh, a lot of uh, – no one really expected them to be where they are right now. We've talked about this week in and week out. They've been horrific as a baseball team. But they have a lot of assets on that team. And so it's guys like uh, Nelson Cruz could easily be traded away. He can go mash somewhere on a playoff team because he's probably good for you know, 20, 30 home runs the rest of the year because it's Nelson Cruz. So, uh, But you also have guys – uh, like uh, Angelton Simmons, who I think is on a short deal, mm -hmm. uh, where it'd probably be worth selling his, or selling him at the deadline or even sooner to get prospects back. I'm sure there are plenty of teams who would willingly give up a good amount for at least his defense. He's an elite defender, and he does uh, you know hit pretty well now. He's been kind of on and off, but he hits. He's been hitting pretty well the last couple of years, and they've also got a lot of decent pitching pieces in the bullpen. And even the rotation, too. Guys like uh, Taylor Rogers could be on the move. Um, I've seen a lot of teams are kind of interested in that. Guys like maybe a J.A. Happ, uh, Tyler Duffy. These guys could easily be on the move. And there's you never have too much pitching. Um, anyone. No matter how much pitching you think you have, you never have enough. Like There's always a need for more. Scott Kazmier started a game for the Giants. <laughs> like, it, it, you always need pitching. No matter who you are, who you think you are. But the White Sox, I think, become that first team to start because they they should be panicking. And I think it will start because they're panicking. They'll be like, okay, we're panicking. We have to do something. They'll trade away. I think it's going to be um, Rodgers first uh, because he's a good bullpen piece that um, someone will probably give up a good prospect or two for. But I think the Twins should – I mean, I think they can still bounce back maybe, but it's going to take a lot. And I think they will probably be the first team to make that definitive decision to sell. Even, I also said the Twins. Um, they're currently playing at a 100-ish loss pace. It's like right around 100. Yeah. They would need to go at a 103-win pace the rest of the year just to get to 90 wins, and even that probably isn't even going to get them into the playoffs. So, yeah, I would definitely start tearing that down. And, um, yeah, he mentioned uh, Nelson Cruz, Andrelton Simmons, Jay Happ. Uh, Michael Pineda, Hansel Robles, Matt Shoemaker. They're all on expiring contracts right now. I think Rodgers and Duffy and Jose Barrios are after next year. You think so, so? Yeah, so they definitely uh, have a lot of pieces they can move. Even if they think they can compete next year, all the guys who are on expiring contracts now just get something for them. 
and then try again next year. Um, but another team that I said is the Angels, especially because they're not going to have Mike Trout for like two months. They're not playing particularly well right now anyway, and they have a ton of guys on expiring contracts. If they start slipping even more without Mike Trout, the Angels could definitely start shipping guys out too. And, you know, the concept here of selling is not necessarily rebuilding. You both name teams, and it's like if they were in the playoff hunt again next year, like it would not surprise me. It's more so, hey, realize you probably got to punt this year. I think those are two teams who are like at, at full strain. Th th this probably isn't even a conversation uh, right. because these teams are in the playoff hunt and it doesn't even matter. So I, you could see that happening for both of these teams in 2022. My team would have been the Twins if I was picking. I, I think, again, if – you, you take a one-year punt and try again next year. You've stockpiled your farm a little bit, and, and maybe you found a diamond in the rough in the process. But you have to have, for both these teams, like a good week, week and a half just to get to 500, and you're not going to do that and keep pace with everybody else in your division. So these these are just teams punting on the year, I think, versus rebuilding. I, I think it's two very different schools of thought. So. Mm -hmm. Inning four. This week, Jed Hoyer of the Cubs announced that there were no current extension talks with any of their core players whose contracts end this year, that being Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Chris Bryant. Let's pretend you're in Hoyer's position and assume you can't sign all three this offseason. Who would you prioritize? We'll start with Ethan. All right. So for me, it would be, if I had to rank them by how I would prioritize, it would be Chris Bryant and then a gap and then Rizzo, and then a huge gap, and then Javi Baez. Javi Baez sucks. And <laughs> with <laughs> the last time I was on, I did this to the entire Cubs team. I'm just going to shift it to Baez right now. Baez sucks. And with all the shortstops that are going to be on the free agent market next year, anyway, he's going to be like the seventh or eighth best of those shortstops, so they could just get a new shortstop. Uh, but Chris Bryant has definitely bounced back in a big way this year. Last I checked, his WRC Plus was like 171 or something. So he's mashing, and he's going to be 30 next year, so he still has a lot left in the tank. Um, Rizzo is a little bit older, so I don't envision they would probably go that route if they had to pick between the three. But actually what I think they might end up doing is going after whoever's cheapest, which very well could be Rizzo and then waiting a year and throwing money at Wilson Contreras because I think he's coming up next year or the year after. So it might not even be between any of those three at all. But if I had to pick, I would definitely go Chris Bryant. Diego? Yeah, so I think uh, I, I also want to get on this bias sucks train because I believe that is very <laughs> much true as well. Definitely not – I, not someone I want to be looking at in the shortstop market as my number one priority. He's maybe a fallback option for a lot of teams, uh, but someone's probably going to sign him uh, and it'll probably be a stupid move for way too much money. Uh, but that's beside the point. Um, there's a question. I think um, it's going to be Anthony Rizzo getting that priority, uh, mostly because a similar idea, what Ethan just said at the end of his little spiel was um, Bryant might get too expensive for him. Um, he has had a really, really good year. The fans love him, but the fans love Anthony Rizzo a lot too. And so with the state of the Cubs, I mean, are the Cubs good? Are they not? They're not very good. Um, but you, they're in a, a place right now where paying Chris Bryant might be kind of out of their budget. And plus, um, if you look at their prospect list, Christopher Morrell is uh, expected to be right next year, currently in double A. Uh, he's the third baseman. Uh, so maybe you just kind of slide him right back, right up there uh, at third base where Bryant was. And you have Rizzo still, um, you know, at first and whoever playing a shortstop, one of the 9 million shortstops coming on the market this next year. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think Baez shouldn't even be considered in that discussion. Like Baez bad, doesn't know how, what walking is, um, <laughs> swings at everything, misses a lot, strikes out a lot. His favorite letter is K. Um, but <laughs> But, yeah, I think it's going to be Anthony Rizzo. I think he's going to fit within their budget, um, fan favorite, a little bit of fan service even. Uh, so Rizzo is my pick for that. I, I think you do have to go with Rizzo. I think Bryant has priced himself out, and they soiled that relationship when yep. he was the original um, – not the original, but the original conversation starter in terms of service time manipulation. 
I, I think that's been long soiled. And I think Baez is not worth the money at this point. So Rizzo's been your guy for quite some time. Pay him like it and see what you can do from there. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's tough for the Cubs because of that relationship with uh, Brian currently. I think it should be a no-brainer that is Bryant, but if that relationship is bad as we all seem to think it is and as much as people make it sound like it is, yeah, it's probably beyond repair. So some team's going to be very fortunate to have uh, Chris Bryant next year. I don't think it's going to be the Cubs. So, Inning five, fact or fiction? People shouldn't really care about the Olympic qualifiers for USA Baseball this week. So as you know, baseball is now an Olympic sport, and the Olympic qualifier roster for the USA came out, I believe it was today, Sunday. Was I think it was today or was yesterday, one of the two. It's out. Um, it's out. There's a mix of some old-time veterans, some Top very Frazier. young prospects. Yeah, we got guys like Not Todd Frazier. We've got Todd Frazier all the way down to Tristan Casas, just to give you a general mm-hmm. sense of where things are um, in terms of age and players on the roster. So I'll turn it over to you guys. We'll start with Diego. Um, yeah, so as far as fact or fiction goes, uh, neither, both. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm never going to complain about there being more baseball on the watch. Like, no matter – I mean, Olympics are the Olympics are something – a lot of people get really, really excited about. I love watching the Olympics. Um, I root for Mexico because I'm Mexican. So, like, it's just me. And a lot of people get really patriotic about their, their countries. So I'm sure there would be plenty of people who care a lot about these uh, Olympic qualifying games. But if you're, like, you know, a super big fan of baseball and, like, that's your go-to sport, you watch it every day, um, I'm sure you're not going to care all that much because, like, You'll watch the games because it's baseball. You get to watch baseball. That's awesome every day. But, like, the rosters are kind of like a mishmash of former uh, MLB guys who may be trying to bounce back and some younger prospects. Um, So depending on where you kind of land on the spectrum, you can either be really, really excited and care a lot, or maybe you don't care all that much and you're just watching baseball because you like to watch baseball. I mean, that's the kind of where I stand on it. Will I be watching the games? Probably. Do I care about the outcomes? Probably not. Ethan? Yeah, I mean, I guess fiction in that it would be stupid for people to care. I don't think it would be stupid for people to care. I don't particularly feel personally invested a whole lot, but that's just that's not a knock on people who do. I just <laughs> I don't feel super invested. Um, it will be interesting to see some of the older players like Matt Kemp, Matt Weeders, Edwin Jackson. Oh, I forgot Matt Kemp was on that roster. Yeah, I was just about Anthony to Ghost is on as yeah. a pitcher, the old outfielder. He's on the roster. What I'm most yeah. interested in is seeing if Todd Frazier can top his 086 batting average that he had as a pirate, <laughs> which you would think he would probably be able to at this competition yeah, yeah. level, but hopefully. And also a shout out to Eddie Alvarez, who's on the roster as an infielder, yeah. who is has medaled in the Olympics as a speed skater. He's already an oh, Olympic yeah. medalist and he's on the roster as an infielder. So that's really cool too. Yeah. I think, you know, when the world baseball classic comes around, I like watching those games. I, love the and I, I thought it was cool when, um, when the USA won the most recent one, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the Olympics. I think it'll be hard because it's during the season, not to care, but to get invested. I think I'll care, but I think it'll be hard to get invested, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. The World Baseball Classic was a lot more exciting when you actually had like s- some of the actual best players from yeah. each country. Was it all star team for every yeah. country? And when it's in the middle of the season, you just can't do that. Yeah. Even though it is the Olympics, which is a much higher platform. It, I think the best thing for the World Baseball Classic was that the USA finally decided to at least semi take it seriously and then win so that people in the US kind of cared at least a little bit. Um, and we'll see where that goes once the next one comes around. But in terms of the Olympics, it's tough being during the season is yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. Inning six early this week, Manny Machado slid into Tommy Edmond while running from first to second on a ground ball to middle infield, effectively breaking up the double play opportunity. If you saw the slide in the game, it was about halfway in between first and second. Machado just kind of slid into him as it he wasn't was in the base path. The bag. It was nowhere near the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, 
everybody obviously has a take on this slide because it's the age of social media and everyone's got an opinion. Dirty or not, I ask the two of you, and we will start with Ethan. I'm leaning towards yes, um, mostly because it was Manny Machado and he already has the reputation of being hmm. a really dirty player, and I absolutely <laughs> agree 100%. I think he's a dirty player. Um, I understand that it is his job in that circumstance to break up the double play. Uh, but my biggest issue then was if you go back and look at the replay, and like you mentioned, it was like no man's in right in the middle of first and second is nowhere close to the bag. And what Machado did was he like, he started to let up for like a split second and then Edmund went in to go for the tag and then he like slide tackled him. And like, that's not the only way to get out of the double play in that case. You don't have to take him out. And when you, when you look like you're going to stop and give yourself up and then Edmund like went in to go for the tag, obviously he thinks you're just giving it to him and then you take him out. And I mean, he, like when he got up, he like went over and like put his hand on Edmund's back or whatever to make sure he was okay. I don't care. You took him out <laughs> in no man's land. So yeah, I, I do think it was a dirty play. Diego. Um, so I'm also largely of the opinion that Manny Machado is a dirty player. I don't like Manny Machado. I think he's bad at being good sportsmanship. If that sounds <laughs> connected, he's, he's a good it. player, but like he's not a good sport, like and all that. So like he does have the reputation of being a dirty player, and um, that's I think that's a big reason why we're having this discussion at all. Uh, I think the play itself wasn't exactly inherently a dirty play. Um, like a lot of people said, like it's kind of textbook. Like you get down, um, you know, try to get out of the throwing path, or whatever, break up the double play. It was just like Ethan said, the way he did it that made it dirty. Like he was letting up, he was gonna like kind of you know, give himself up, like a lot of guys do in that situation. But he's like, up, oh, JK, we're gone. And so, like that's that's what made it kind of problematic, I think, to begin with at all. Like Machado is he's a dirty player. Like when end of the day, that's kind of the reputation he has at this point in his career. He's been, you know, not you know doing anything super dirty as of late since I think really since he got to San Diego, but then times like slides like that remind us why he has the reputation that he does. Like, so in the end was the, was the slide dirty? Yes. And no. Um, if someone else would have done it, you might not be hearing about this at all. Um, but just the way he did it, the letting up and then taking him out, it seemed extremely unnecessary. I don't think it was a good slide. I don't like Manny Machado very much at all. I think Manny Machado's dirty player, dirty-ish play. That it's dirty, not dirty. Depends on who you ask. I don't think there's really a right answer. On a one to ten scale, I tend to give it about a three or a four. To be honest with you, I think it's a really smart baseball play. I, I yeah. think it's it's. How do I say this without feeling like it's insensitive? It, it, it's, it feels like there it's were... It's a textbook baseball play. Right. It's a textbook it was, baseball play. The execution it, was off. Yeah. It, it feels like it was a slowed down version of what breakup double plays at second used to look like. To where I feel like the injury risk wasn't as drastic as a typical guy is charging full speed at second and coming right at your knees type play. I think there was an element that, kind of like you said, Diego, he, he slowed down. I think Ethan, you said this too. He slowed down and he was like, ooh, I have the opportunity to just take him out here. And because of that, he just took him out. So I, I think there's an element of it being a smart baseball play. I think there's still an element of being dirty, like sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to give myself up. Wait a minute, I can just take him out instead. That's where the dirty part comes in. Um, I tend to lean smart baseball play, though. I agree, but, but but I do see where people can be upset about it. I I don't think it's as dirty as Cardinals fans will tell you. I don't think it is, it's as clean as Padres fans fans will tell you it is. Right. Um. But, but that's kind of where I stand. It's yeah, somewhere like, in the like, middle. Yeah, like Diego said, just just because of Machado's reputation, this would not be nearly the big deal that it was if it was just about anybody else. Other yeah. Than Machado. I, I do agree with that completely. So. Inning seven, let's bring it home. We got another close seventh inning stretch matchup here, which is good. This week, The Athletic published an article detailing the concerns among some players 
about the amount of pitchers using, using foreign substances on baseballs. I think even one of the quotes from the article was like, you could see the ball ripping off his fingertips because of the amount of pine tar he had on his fingers. Um, considering Major League Baseball said this offseason, they were going to be, quote-unquote, cracking down on foreign substance use. How should this whole situation be handled, if at all? Could it be possible that Major League Baseball simply realized that so many players were doing that that it was almost impossible to crack down on them? Uh, we'll start with Diego. Um, yeah, so we had a question very similar to this, um, I think either early on this season or late last season um, on This Week in Baseball or something or another um, media outlet that we have. And my opinion then, and I think it's still my opinion now, um, I think Major League Baseball – are a bunch of pansies and won't do anything about it. They're 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 so wishy washy in any sort of any sort of like uh, reprimanding of anything. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, I think they're gonna take they're gonna take this year to kind of figure out what that data looks like when you know someone's using a foreign substance and all of that. I think um, I mean with any good. Uh, you know, taking of data, you have to have a control. And I think this season is kind of that control season, that control group of pitchers. Um, I think what they're going to end up doing is after this year, after 2021, so starting in 2022, they're actually maybe going to start cracking down on it. They say they're going to do it, but they're not exactly very good at keeping their words saying what they're going to do. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do nothing. Uh, I think Something could be done. I think something might be done, but I really have no idea how they're going to go about doing it because, like you said, there's so many guys doing it. And ultimately, it's probably contributing to, you know, all the no-hitters, all of, like, the – or no offense going around the league, that and the dead end ball. Like, those are all factors into things making a not exciting game, and that's not what MLB wants. So I think you'll probably see something out of, uh, come out of it. Not this year, though. 2022 at the earliest. Um, they'll probably pick one guy, probably Trevor Bauer, because he's so open about it, and like kind of attack him for a little bit, and then he'll throw his little fit on Twitter with everyone <laughs> that he does because that's his entire brand. Like He's going <laughs> to complain about it and make millions off of it somehow. Um, but, yeah, I think one person's going to kind of be the scapegoat for this year. And I think it's probably going to be Bauer just because he's very much, you know, the way he is. Um, but after that, I think it's very much, we'll see. I have no idea where it's going to go. Should, should something be done about it? Probably. Is something going to be done about it? Who knows? Ethan? Yeah, I think I agree that, you know, MLB does think it's going to be really hard to crack down on it as much as they say they want to. Um, <clears throat> there was a quote in that article um, where Alex Rodriguez was talking about the steroid era. And it was the point like late 90s, early 2000s, when he said that the league was kind of in a gray area where like the league says, you know, using PEDs is strictly prohibited, but they weren't testing for it, so they couldn't punish for it. And that's kind of where we're at with the pine tar. Like nobody really gets in trouble for it unless there's like a giant blob of it and it's like dripping off of your glove or your cap or like your wrist or something. So it's, it's going to be really hard for the league to figure out how they want to police this, like, especially with, you know, how they want to, you know, slow down the pace of play and stuff. The umpires, like, they're not going to be able to throw out and, and investigate every single ball every time somebody throws, like, a particularly sharp breaking ball. Like, if it breaks harder than, you know, his typical breaking ball does, then they might suspect there might be something on it, but they can't throw it out, you know, every single time that happens. So yeah, it's going to be really hard for them to police this. And what I don't know if there are people who actually think that this is a good idea, but there's the opinion that, you know, they should just let the pitchers use pine tar and just let the hitters use steroids. And I think that is really stupid. <laughs> really stupid. Um, number one, because that's just destroying the integrity of the game. If you're just letting everybody cheat, then it's... It's just not a fair playing field for the people who have dignity and want to play the game the right way. But also because, you know, pitchers can also use PEDs. You know, Roger Clemens did it forever. So that's not fair to the hitters either. But 
there's always the excuse that pitchers use. Well, I'm not trying to, you know, increase my spin or whatever. I'm just trying to get a better grip on the ball. Well, a lot of the people who get suspended for PEDs, whenever they make their big statement, apology or whatever, they say, well, I'm not trying to, you know, cheat or whatever. I just used it to help rehab or recover from whatever physical, whatever. So it's not about, you know, the intention of trying to cheat or trying to get an advantage. It's just, you have to abide by the letter of the law. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for baseball to try to crack down on this, whatever way they decide to. And when you, Diego, you mentioned them using Trevor Bauer. Didn't they already like throw out Mm -hmm. a couple of his balls from one of his starts? They have. So I think they're starting to do that to him already. And I especially like that Bauer is that guy because of how outspoken he's been against it. And now he's one of the like most widely suspected users. I love the irony. <laughs> Trevor Bauer is just a bunch of irony. <laughs> I, if you start watching these games, though, like pitchers aren't and even I trying to wrong. I think Laz is just kind of disconnected. Am I back like, on? So, yeah. Don't can worry. I'll me? take over from here. Yeah. <laughs> so. I can uh, hear you. Wait, cool. you can hear me? I think yeah, Laz I can hear you. Cool. So, I got Laz. All right. Oh, you got Laz? Yeah, I got Laz. So, but, uh, yeah, just tell me when to do things. I got both of you. <laughs> okay, so tell me tell me when Laz is telling me to do stuff. All right. Well, <laughs> See, I don't this have Laz, awesome. so. Well, we'll take care of this. I mean, my thoughts on this is are, are very similar to what both of you have expressed. I think it's going to be hard to do it. If you just look at players now, it, it, it they're not even trying to hide it anymore, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Like, every single pitcher has got this huge glob on their cap, and it looks really funny. It's like, no one's going to call them out because the other team's got three pitchers coming in later in the game that are going to do the exact same thing. Um, so th- that's the hard part about it. I-, I think it'll be very difficult to police, but also something they need to. Um, that brings us to the end of seventh inning stretch. I decided that, you know, this was such a good one. I couldn't pick a winner. Uh, so you both had to tie it 57, unfortunately. But I'll take it. It, it was great. I, I enjoyed the back and forth on this. I'm pretty sure I just lost is what just happened. No, he didn't lose. <laughs> this is funny that like we're, we're doing two separate things here, which which is great. But we'll hand it over to Diego, and I'll just message him that it needs to be him talking about what he's going to be watching this week. So both Diego and Ethan are going to pick what they're going to be watching this week in terms of a matchup or a series. And what they think you should be watching too. So I will tell Diego he's good to go. Uh, yeah. So my what to watch for this week. <laughs> um, I've got there's a four game series between San Diego and Milwaukee Monday to Thursday. I think that'll be an interesting series to watch. Uh, keep an eye on the Padres are rolling. They're now atop the NLS, sadly. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to be watching to see, monitor what's going on there. Hopefully the Brewers get the sweep there. I don't know if they will because the Padres are, in fact, rolling. So that's what I'm going to be watching. Ethan? Yeah, so there are two teams in particular that I'm looking for who we expected to be in the middle of the playoff race that currently aren't, and that's the Astros and the Braves. Um, both of them have really rough stretches this week and it starts off with Astros Dodgers which is really exciting of course the rematch of the 2017 World Series all the drama with that the whole thing with Joe Kelly saying if a fan threw a beer at him he would throw one back he's pretty much inviting it at this point so I want to see if he does it and I think he will I think he's just crazy enough that he'll actually do it hopefully but hopefully but the Astros (laughs) yeah they are at home all week, but it's the Dodgers and then the Padres, which is a really tough stretch. And then the Braves, they just beat the snot out of the Pirates this weekend, which I don't really want to talk about. But they they looked unbeatable, and now they're on the road this week against the Red Sox and Mets. So that's a really rough stretch for them, too. And the NL East is wide open. I think the Mets are in first, and we say the Mets are in first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's wide open. So, yeah, that's going to be good to watch. A lot of good games coming up this week. Uh, I think from my perspective, you know, I'm still watching the Sox, and they got another first-place team coming to town in St. Louis. So 
That'll be a plenty fun of intrigue there. Yeah, that that'll be a good one. Hopefully, it's a good series. I think it'll be nice to end the week with Baltimore. But in, in terms of some AL action over on the AL Central side, that'll be a good one to watch for. But I think that's gonna do it for us this week. Apparently, as we came to the end here, Diego could hear me. So hopefully everyone listening could hear me the whole time. If not, we will figure it out one way or another. But appreciate you <laughs> listening, as always. Appreciate Diego and Ethan for coming on. Make sure, as always, to follow us on Twitter at Diamond underscore Digest, Instagram, Diamond.Digest. And make sure to find both Ethan and Diego, as well as all of our writers, on our website, Diamond-Digest.com. Make sure to check out Diego's article that he had published uh, just a couple of days ago about the Giants. So plenty of good stuff there, plenty of good stuff coming this week. And, of course, we'll be back next week to do this all over again. So for Ethan Fisher and Diego Franco-Crano, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next week. See you Go soon. baseball. Go baseball. <laughs> <laughs>